bothering my kid? Sorry. Arthur, I have some bad news for you. <laughs> this is the last time we'll be meeting. You don't listen, do you? You just ask the same questions every week. How's your job? Are you having any negative thoughts? All I have are negative thoughts. And finally, in a world where everyone thinks they could do my job, check out this guy. When I was a little boy and told people I was going to be a comedian, everyone laughed at me. Well, no one's laughing now. You can say that again, pal. to Pop Culture Fanatics, a podcast for the crazy fan in you. Hey, what's going on everybody and welcome to another great edition of At The Movies, brought to you by Pop Culture Fanatics. I'm your host, the clown prince of crime, Val Sisko, and today we're going to be talking about one of the most polarizing films that has come out in the last five years. A film that has divided both fans and critics alike for many themes, including mental illness and hyperviolence. This is 2019's Joker. Before we get started, I just want to give a quick shout out to one of my sponsors, and then we're going to unpack this beautiful misery. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's your boy, Val Sisko, dropping some knowledge about Anchor. Guys, have you ever wanted to record your own podcast? Don't you want millions and millions of people to listen to what you have to say, whether it's about Zeus, whether it's about sports, whether it's about everything that's going on in the world of quarantine? Guys, what are you waiting for? Download Anchor. Anchor basically is a one-stop shop for all your podcast needs. It has creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Number two, it's free. Guys, it's free. There's not a lot of freebies out there, so grab this. 
And of course, Anchor will distribute your podcast so you can be heard from different places like Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and many, many, many more. You can make money off your podcast too with minimum listenership. So right there, guys, like, listen, this is a no-brainer. Download Anchor. It's pretty fantastic. I love it. Hell, thank you, Anchor, for giving me the platform to speak about all the random things that I do. Uh, It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So please, once again, download Anchor. You can download it off the Apple Play Store, the, the Google Store. I don't know if you guys have Blackberries out there still. Uh... Whatever is out there, download it. It's freaking phenomenal. You guys won't regret it. Take care. Ciao. All right, and we are back. So um, before we get started as well, I want to let everybody know that this is going to be a spoiler-heavy podcast. Um, It won't be a very long one, but it will have some spoilers in it. Um, I kind of want to unpack some of the themes and how I felt about the film and the audience's perception, the critics' perception of the movie as well, too, and kind of give a little bit of a deep dive as well. So, spoiler alert, I wanted to, you know, give a couple of days after the film was released so we could sink in and we could kind of have a nice little convo about it, and that's what we're about to do right here. So, um, in about three, two, one, let's get started. So Joker is a 2019 American thriller based on the character from DC Comics by the same name, Joker. The film is directed by Todd Phillips, who co-wrote the screenplay with Scott Silver. Um, Of course, it stars Joaquin Phoenix as the Joker, and it's also an origin story set in 1981. The film follows Arthur Fleck, a failed stand-up comedian who turns to a life of crime and chaos in Gotham City. This film also stars Robert De Niro, Zazie Beetz, Francis Conroy, and Mark Maron. Um, Also, other supporting roles as well, too, which I'm not going to go too far into. There's a lot of cameos in this movie as well, too, so that's pretty fun. Um, Joker was produced by DC Films. Village Roadshow Pictures, Braun Creative, and Joint Effort Productions. It was also distributed by Warner Brothers Pictures. Um, this film has been in the works since about 2015-2016. Um, was inspired by a lot of Martin Scorsese films such as Taxi Driver as well too. And the themes of Taxi Driver are very, very, very much um, obvious in this movie as well too they're very similar um especially the tone of the movie the deep dive into um a psychotic's mindset or mind frame um this film has really generated some mixed reviews whether it's a accurate portrayal of the character or a far-fetched version of the character as well, too. Is it blending too much of an agenda for mental illness, or is it really touching what the Joker, as far as the character, is really about in the comic book? So um, let's first talk about my my thoughts on the film. Going into this film, um, I had high expectations for Joaquin Phoenix. I know a lot of people think, you know, Joaquin Phoenix is just, a, you know, the guy from Gladiator, you know? Rock and roll, if you're a person that loves, you know, big action movies or whatnot. But, you know, 
Joaquin Phoenix is a very selective actor, very much a method actor, someone who really takes his time and wants to pick roles that have some kind of meat in, inside of it, um, that he can really play with and indulge and use all his skills as an actor and do what he loves to do, which is act. Yeah, unfortunately, a lot of times in this day and age, I'm not a, you know, a superhero movie hater or anything like that. I love my comic book movies. I'm a comic book nerd. Um, but a lot of times, um, movies these days are just a green screen and you're acting in front of a green screen. You know, you're using like a tennis ball to follow, you know, certain movements around. And although that is considered acting, hell, they're getting paid billions of dollars. I think an actor like a Joaquin Phoenix wants to get in the mind of a character and, you know, really deep dive into a movie where he can just let loose. Uh, this movie, he definitely did let loose. Um, so I was excited with that, just with the, with the casting and Francis Conroy being in the movie from American Horror Story, um, Robert De Niro as well, too. You know, originally Scorsese was attached to this film, then it went to um, Todd Phillips as well, too. Todd Phillips, someone who's done outside-of-box movies as well, too, like the Hangover movies. So to see him do a dark, twisted movie just like this was a surprise a little bit, but hey, I'm not complaining. Um, so yeah, um, initially I would say that, um, the casting got me excited, but the same token, I feel that I was a little, um, dissatisfied being as a comic book fan, like I said earlier, and I feel like there's a rich variety of comic book characters where we can dive into and pluck out the, the little toy chest and make a movie about and I feel like the Joker has been portrayed so many times, whether it's television or animation or films, video games, what have you. It's been done multiple times. And did we need another rendition of the character? Um, but I also felt that if it was a movie that was rumored at the time to have the R rating, I felt like there was no better character than to to do than the Joker as far as the R rating. Um it just depend on how far you were going to go. Now, um, going into it and seeing the production design, knowing that it was filmed in New York City a lot of times, it was filmed in the Bronx, many areas in this in this film. I know street corners. I know staircases that I know, you know, a lot of places um, in Manhattan or lower, lower East Side that I've seen as well, too, so... I was excited to know that a lot of these shots, uh, um, locations and shots were in my home state. I live in Arizona now, but it was very nostalgic to see all these spots that I grew up in as well. So that really had me going as well, too. And then when the first initial trailer came out, or at least the stills came out of the Joker's face, um, I heard all the cries. This sucks. This is horrible. He won't be as great as Heath Ledger. You know, you know this and that. And then this is also coming out of... Suicide Squad, where people were already feeling low on the character for Jared Leto's performance. And I will say this. Um, I'm not a Jared Leto hater as well, too. I'm a fan. I'm a fan of any kind of person getting out of their skin and entering a different character and portraying them different. And honestly, that's what Jared Leto did. Now, yes, it was a little controversial and a little different, you know, tattoos on the forehead and can't be attitudes, you know, this was a different portrayal of the Joker. And I wasn't disappointed in that whatsoever. Heck, I can't even judge that portrayal because he was 
less than 10 minutes in that movie. So how are, how are we as fans able to judge that character when he really couldn't be a full-fledged version of what he wanted to do with that character? A lot of scenes were cut, a lot of arcs were cut, so it's, um, it was disappointing. But once again, people are already having a bad taste in their mouth because of that character specifically. That they saw the first stills of Joaquin Phoenix with, you know, just a very much a, uh, I want to say Picasso looking face, uh, distorted colors, original like vaudevillain, vaudevillain, look at me, vaudeville-esque type clown makeup on the Joker. Uh, people were like, you know what, that's not what I want. You know, we want, you know, the Heath Ledger. People want, you know, uh, you want to know how I got these scars, kind of portrayal with the sliced um, slits on the mouth. We get that in the video games. We get that in pop culture with the Joker and the animations as well, too. So I guess people were conditioned to feel like this was, that was the, the quintessential Joker um, design. Um, me, I was super excited because of the fact that this looked gritty. This didn't look like a guy that... And, you know, yes, I will say this. A lot of times, um, I feel that the Joker in The Dark Knight is a little overrated. It is. It, he's a, he does a great performance. But it's still debated today, and I will back that up. God rest my soul, that had Heath Ledger not died, he may have not even gotten that Oscar. You know, it's all about perception at that time as well, too, you know. Um, I think it was respect from the Academy that this was such an intense portrayal that they did give him the nod for the for the, for the the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. But the same token, like, had he lived, I'm not too sure if he would have won. Um, I'm not too sure the mystique of the character would have existed today um, had he not died. So that's just my opinion on it. Y'all can bash me all you want. I just think that in that movie, yes, we're playing with the Agent of Chaos version of Joker. I definitely get it. But the same token, in a world where you're, where you're trying to captivate some kind of realism with Batman, you know, and he's not just a guy with daddy issues, you know, and a bat cape, you know, you're trying to put armor on the guy, you're trying to give him tanks and, you know, going down the martial art path and actual detective path that you get someone kind of campy with that portrayal as well too like this is a guy who literally wakes up every morning to put white makeup on and eyeshadow on to look very distorted but it's like controlled chaos i guess in a way <laughs> like um the makeup's a little weird and the hairstyle's a little weird and i don't know i just it's a great performance. I do like it. I just think that it's not the be-all, end-all of any character. No character is the be-all, end-all. You know, there's always going to be someone different who plays a different character, and there's always going to be some or the same character, and there's always going to be a different portrayal for that. We should respect that. doesn't mean we have to like it, but we, we could respect it. Um, so seeing this, it just... Um, taking notes from The Man Who Laughed... Um, taking notes from One Bad Day, taking notes from The Crying Clown. It just looked like a person who just woke up one day, put some makeup on, and did some fucked up shit. That's what it looked like. Um, and I loved it. It looked gritty. It looked, it looked perplexing. It looked uncomfortable. 
I think that was the tone that we should have all expected with this film, that his look felt uncomfortable. It made people feel uncomfortable. Um, it wasn't crazy. It was just different. Uh, and that already evoked a response. Then the trailers came out. And just, I knew this film was going to be a masterpiece because of the fact that every shot in that trailer was beautifully done. Whether it was the lighting going up the stairs, um, seeing the sunset, whether it was um, seeing how Arthur's body contorts, how, how skinny he is, but every time he arches, you see bones pop out. And Joaquin Phoenix lost so much weight to do this role. Like I believe he lost almost 100 pounds trying to portray this character. We haven't seen anybody like this since Christian Bale and his method acting with the uh, machinist. You know, you can see Joaquin Phoenix's ribcage as he's dancing around with a pistol. Um, it's a very uncomfortable trailer. You don't know what this person's doing. You see some parts where he's just laughing uncontrollably and a very distinct laugh as well, too. And you can think, oh, you know, this is a Joker movie, so maybe it's like laughing gas or he's trying to play a funny role. You know, it's very ambiguous. You know, the trailer doesn't give you that much to work with and then um, among all these little quirky details of him dancing with an older lady and of course the the body torture you also see little strides of madness like him chasing somebody with a gun him stomping something in that alley and then of course at the end you see him on a talk show about to get to a talk show with the with the whole joker uniform on you know a classic um not purple but more of like an orangey, maroonish color. And the classic 19, I want to say 20s um, vaudeville makeup on. It just, it's a different feel for the Joker. It's much gritty, grainier, and depressing looking version of it. And you don't know what's going to happen, but you know it's something bad. You know it's a rated R movie. And you know that the character itself lends into hyperviolence. So... Knowing this, I was really hooked. People had their reservations. Um, going into rumor mills and you hear that um, they're going with different stories like um, with the one bad day storyline as well too, which they definitely took a lot of took a lot of points from that story and put it into this movie. Um, some areas of the killing joke, um, not a lot, but just some areas of the killing joke. Um, very much the 80s version or even like the 70s version of the Joker as well too was aesthetically seen in this movie um, but there was rumors about possibly having a relationship with Thomas Wayne and in the trailer initially you see Arkham Asylum and you know that Thomas Wayne has so much history when it comes to Arkham Asylum itself uh, him being as a doctor as well too um, a doctor of healing and also a doctor in some stories of death um, or at least causing death or causing mental illness um, so it was very interesting that we heard that rumor and having a possibly father figure relationship into that so um, with all these different things happening and rumors happening it was very much a movie where people were excited to see but had the reservations movie comes out I see it and I gotta say here we go, spoilers in the movie right now. We're going to go right into it. From that first opening scene of just seeing 
New York, right? I've just seen New York and, or at least in this side, Gotham City. Gotham City, 1981. Definitely looks like New York or the Bronx in 1981. Garbage everywhere. Um, news reporters saying that, you know, riots are happening, that um, government funding has been cut off and the poor keep on getting poorer and just becoming homeless and hospitals are shutting down. Um, insurance is, is non-existent in certain, certain, certain places or certain people or whatnot. So already it feels like a like Gotham City's on the brink of chaos. It's not there yet. It's just almost at that breaking point and you see Arthur um you see Arthur playing a clown character and it's in the trailer as well too um and you see that you know some kids are making fun of him they steal a sign they beat the shit out of him and the opening credits is just the font itself the font looks so 70s 80s it looks like it's straight out of the Godfather, in a way, for some reason, it, it does. It looks like that. Like the font, it, it's fantastic. It gives you like an a very much a a throwback feel to cinema. Um, I they even brought up the original Warner Brothers logo as well too. When this movie came out, um, when I saw, I noticed that we didn't have the the normal DC uh, intro introduction. No, this was like a classic Warner Brothers feel to it. So that was interesting. Um, and then we get to see, I won't go beat by beat with the movie, just a little parts that I noticed that I loved, um, whether it was, and let me know if you guys saw this as well too in the movie, little parts like when he's getting jumped by the kids and they leave and opening credit starts, his flower, and it's a very iconic flower as well too from the Joker outfit where usually if he sprays it, you know, acid comes out. Well, in this case, you know, he's crying, he's on the floor. He's beat up, and it just shows how depressed this individual is that the flower starts leaking like it's crying as well, too. It's almost like a comedy bit, like a dark comedy bit. I found that pretty interesting. Um, you see his workplace environment, and he's part of like a ragtag group that I guess gets outsourced for clown parties or clown activities they use clowns for different things as well too whether it's signs whether it's advertisement whether it's uh, working at hospitals whether it's um just many other different things that you could use parties birthday parties whatever you think a clown could be used for they probably use it but it's a shady business as well too uh, this is where you first get introduced with the laugh as well and it's a very distinct laugh. It's more of like an uncontrollable laugh. It's it's interesting to see when when it first comes out because it looks like it, it hurts him in a way. Um, you see his work environment, and you see that you know people are are saying that he's a that he's a bad clown essentially. Um, um, that he got jumped, and his friend Randall comes to him, and he's like, "Hey, you know, you should be protecting yourself." And he ultimately gives him a gun. And he's like, you know, we need to look out for each other out there. Times are getting crazy. The streets are getting crazy. Um, there's more to that scene, but we can unpack that on another time as well, too. Or you guys can unpack that later on. Or if you want to do a discussion thread on the Pop Culture's Fanatic, Pop Culture Fanatic Facebook page, let's do it. Um, we get an introduction to a therapist. And as someone who has been to a therapist, 
who's had a bad therapist, who had a good therapist. This was a horrible therapist, and I'll tell you why. He goes there, and once again, you get introduced to that laugh. And the laugh looks like it hurts him. Like, this is like a, it definitely feels like it's a condition. Um, it's a very unique laugh. It's one of my favorite portrayals of the laugh for the Joker. Um, I did like Jack Nicholson's laugh, but this one takes the cake because every time he tries to stop himself, it it, it looks like a little bit of him dies a, a bit or something hurts him. So I found that very interesting. Um, his therapist does not give a crap about him. There's points where, you know, she's telling, asking him the same old questions. How are you feeling? How's work? Um, I give you a notebook. Can I see what you wrote inside of it? And he's like trying to just tell her little things and she's not listening, you know? Does, does it feel like, you know, the world's getting crazier outside or is it just him? And, you know, there's like lackadaisical responses. Um... He's telling her that, you know, he, he uses this book now to write jokes that he told her the other week that he's starting to be a stand-up comedian. And she's like, no, you never told me that. And he's like, I, no, I'm pretty sure I did. And throughout the movie, you see that this is something that he's told other people. Like he's told um, his mother, he's told the job site, even the boss gets, you know, makes a dig at him. He's like, hey, how's your stand-up career going? So he's definitely told people that he wants to be a stand-up comedian. So the fact that the therapist, someone who's meant to, to, to listen to your issues or to at least analyze your issues, uh, forgets a, an important thing like that, you know, a, 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 something that you're doing productive in your life, it just shows like the, the state of mind that Arthur is in, that even a therapist won't even listen to him. And how depressing his life is and how insignificant he feels. And we'll revisit the therapist later on. Um, other things as well, too, you get to see how hard his life is. And, and in this movie, I noticed a lot of color sets the tone of this movie. And we'll talk about color a little later because I have my theories on that. Um, stairs are a giant character in this movie. Um... Many times you see Arthur climbing stairs. And every time he walks up five stairs, it looks like he carries the weight of the world on his shoulders. Um, it's just a very bleak and depressing individual. Looks like someone that you probably seen in the street and didn't pay attention to. That's Arthur, unfortunately. Um, you see him going to his apartment complex and it's run down, full of trash. You see him that he lives with his mother as well, too. Um, he definitely seems like he's a person that is a man of the house, that wants to take care of his mom, that basically pays the bills. His mother seems rather old and can't fend for herself. So he's that quintessential older character that helps his mom out, but has narcissistic um, a narcissistic personality of wanting to be wanted or loved. Um, so already you're, you're already feeling some kind of mental illness there. You get a therapist, you get that laugh and you get that depression right off the bat of this movie. So definitely we're, we're, we're diving into a lot of mental illness in this movie. And from what I hear, a lot of people said that this is the part that kind of turned them off because it was such a slow start, but this is brilliant character development. We need to know why Arthur feels the way he feels, why Arthur would do anything that would be remotely violent. And these are seeds right here. 
Um, this film dives into uh, his mother, um, basically stating that she herself has um, uh, is waiting for a letter from Thomas Wayne. And this is where uh, it kind of feels a little more comic booky, you know, from a art house film going back to comic book film in a way. But we uh, find out that that she that Francis Conroy uh Penny Penny Fleck used to work for the Wayne family and she had to leave at one point and now that she's been waiting for some kind of either either allowance or money or something that would show that Thomas Wayne would be taking care of her and her family after the years she's um provided work for the Wayne family and it's never done it. And every day she tells Arthur, like, if only Thomas Wayne could see how we were living right now, um, he would be disgusted and want to help us. And Arthur indulges her, but also at the same token, you know, knows his bullshit in a way. Um, like I said, a lot of character development right here in the first like 30 minutes. We get to see him um turn the TV and we get like a Johnny Cochran kind of character, Jay Leno kind of, kind of character with Robert De Niro playing um, Murray Franklin in the Murray Franklin show. Um, so we get late night talk shows, very, very um, heavily themed about the 80s. If, if, if anything from the 70s and 80s, you do know that talk shows were like your source of comedy plus news plus satire. And they were treated as gods at that time as well, too. Like people... Um, looked at him as heavy leaders. And this is where you sink into Arthur's delusion. Um, he sees it with his mom, and they're watching the, the Murray show. And then automatically you see him go into the, the studio audience. And you're left in your mind to determine, is this real or not? And of course, it's not real because, you know, he's having delusional aspects of Maury, uh, Murray, excuse me, um, Picking out Arthur from the crowd and saying that he's a smart man, great for for helping out his mother, that most people wouldn't do that. He wish he had a son like him. So already you see that Arthur is somewhat delusional because it pans back into the frame of him watching TV. He's already starting some kind of delusion, whether it's um, a, a father figure that's missing from his life, whether, once again, it's that narcissistic personality. It's like the boy, the, the internet warrior right now that it's always complaining that why me i'm always you know the nice guy i'm the nice guy finishes last and what was me and a girl will never or a guy will never date me because i am so nice and having that like the expectation because you act a certain way that you should be treated a certain way um he has that narcissistic mentality that you know i i help my mother out all the time why wouldn't anybody want to be my friend you know i'm a perfect individual you know, you see that. It's almost like childlike as well, too. Very much like a childlike mentality. And you see that throughout the movie. Um, there's parts of the movie as well, too, where he has mental breaks. You have to see um, his interaction with um, Zazie Beetz's character, um, who basically is has a slight conversation with him in, in the elevator, stating that, you know, she's having trouble with her kid, and so she makes, like, the gun to the head notion like i'm gonna blow my head out and you get like from there on interesting interesting conversations with these two and at some parts it does feel like arthur is trying to live a good life 
Uh, other times, though, you see that Arthur's fucking up. So at this moment in time, color is a huge thing. And if you're following me, you know, this is a character that will eventually break, will eventually go psychotic. It's just what's actually leading up to that. And this movie plays with blue and orange a lot, or blue or yellow. And a lot of times, the blue, which I've noticed in this movie, can be the delusion, like the dream almost. And yellow or reddish or orange can be the reality of it all. Um, There's parts with Zazie that you see are all in blue. Whether it's going out to have a cup of coffee, whether it's him stalking her, whether it's um, parts where he just opens her door automatically and makes out with her. Um, There's a lot of color um, palettes that kind of differentiate what's real, what's not. At least that's how I felt. Um, Key parts that I liked about this movie, because I don't want to go beat by beat by it. Key parts that I liked about this movie... um, the part that I love the most is um, the Patch Adams scene, for people who have seen this, of course, where he's dancing um, in the children's hospital. And you see that, like I said, Arthur is trying to make a good living in his life. He's really trying to help people. He sees himself as a hero. Most villains do. Um, and he's dancing in front of these kids. And all of a sudden, you know, he's singing, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, stomp your feet. And the gun falls out. And this is such a tense scene. It's a funny scene. But it's an uncomfortably funny scene. It's a scene where you don't know how to react or how to feel. Because is this person... Like, the way he even picks it up, he like he stumbles over the gun where it could have shot somebody. It could have went off by itself. And there's kids surrounding him everywhere. And then the reaction after he picks up the gun, he's like, shh, don't tell anybody. That was dark, twisted, and funny at the same time. Um, The part where he gets fired for eventually, um, for having that gun inside the hospital. Um, And little subtle jokes like, um, hey, I want to... Hey, I'm coming back and I forgot to punch out. And he fucking wallops the shit out of the machine that punch that takes your punches. So dark humor right there. Uh, there's a part where he actually does his um, skit for comedy and his uncontrollable laughter once again takes control. And he does a couple of one or two jokes and it's perceived that he's having a good time. Like after he does the initial like scare from the laughter. It's perceived that you, as an audience member, have seen him just telling a couple of jokes and the audience is reacting it kind of positive, in a positive way. So much that it's actually getting the attention of Murray, who wants to invite him onto the show. Uh, for notorious reasons, most likely to make fun of him. Because um, as we've seen in the clips, it's mostly like deadpan humor. And, you know, Murray just seems like he's a person who likes to take advantage of people like this as well, too. Like most people in Gotham. Um, how always has an agenda. Um, so you can definitely see where all the roots of, of depression and anger and hate really come in. Um, let's talk about the brutality, the scene on the train, the subway state, uh, scene. Um, we get to see Arthur after he gets fired. Um, basically just out of it on the train. And you get these Wall Street young guys, you know, 
a bunch of these American Psycho Christian Bale looking guys. Um, look like they're a little drunk as well too. Trying to get the attention of a young female. And of course, Arthur with his uncontrollable laughter. Um, I should research the disease as well too. But it is a disease. You see that in the movie as well too. That he hands out a card to people. And this card shows that, excuse me for my disease. Uh, this is a medical condition that he actually does... He cannot stop laughing, and it's more for ner- like a nervous tick almost. Um, so I, I did like that. I did like that. I know I'm going all over the place right here. It's just I did forget that little tidbit right there that it is a medical condition that he does have. Um, for every nervous tick that he has, he does the uncontrollable laughter. Um, so to see that and to see that he sees this girl possibly getting harassed and not knowing how to, how to handle that situation he starts laughing because he's nervous and of course this scares the girl which prompts the gentleman to uh sing the old frank sinatra song send in the clowns which they start jumping arthur um to the point where arthur takes his gun and brutally murders two of the three men first and these shots set the tone for the movie after all the developments happened, after all the character development, and after everything, after you get a good sense of who Arthur is or what his surroundings are, his social surroundings, his intimate surroundings, everything, these shots mean so much to the audience. I remember hearing like a gasp of air with the first two shots because it's so powerful. And this really set the tone for me because... I've seen ultraviolet movies. You know, John Wick, all of them, all three of them are ultraviolet movies. But these shots felt, it felt like you did not know how to react toward this. You felt like Arthur would have done this to anybody anyway if somebody pushed him. But also this could have been self-defense. These were the first two shots. The third shot, though, after he chases down one of these on Wall Street young men. Um, one of them tries to flee away. And Arthur deliberately goes to this person and does a final shot to the back. And that was the loudest shot that I heard out of all three of them. And that, I think that means something because that signifies Arthur's... Arthur enjoying what he's doing. And we're not enjoying it so much, but releasing releasing whatever has been dormant inside of him. This vindicated him, if that makes sense. Uh, you see that he runs, and his run's hilarious as well, too. It's all distorted. Like, it really does feel like a child. It feels like someone who, who made a mistake. He's running, and he runs to a random fucking public restroom to hide. And he locks the door. And it's like a child running away from a problem. Like, they broke a lamp, so they're going to run away. And that's how I took it. Locks the door, and once again, you get a shade of blue. I don't know what this means. To me, it just it, it adds up to some kind of delusion in a way. Like, maybe he did lock himself in somewhere to hide. But after he does this with the clown makeup on, you get a very iconic scene. It's, it's the poster for a lot of... Uh, it's a picture on the poster's for this movie and for for all uh, you'll see it it's basically him leaning arching back in front of a mirror and you see that the blood and the makeup on him but he's also doing tai chi variations 
like it's very much like tai chi movements like water flowing fire flowing earth flowing like 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 he's one with something and then ultimately after he's done with the movements he settles into himself in the mirror and he collects his own thoughts and he it looks like it's acceptance like this is who i am so after that right there you get to see even more craziness like um the therapist once again you know he kind of talks to the therapist and he's like you know that after that and after you know news reporters are saying that you know a clown attacked three men inside a subway he feels like he's finally getting noticed and he explains this to the therapist as well too and the therapist just tells him up oh, we're shutting services down i'm getting fired well i'm not getting fired but you know you're not gonna be getting help anymore no more medication for you the government doesn't care about me the government doesn't care about you and Arthur just reiterates, you don't listen to me. Like, you ask me the same questions over and over again. And you don't listen. And you keep on telling me how's work. If you have any negative thoughts. And one of the iconic you know, things in a trailer you see is, all I have is negative thoughts. And you don't care. And she still meets him with... No sympathy, no empathy whatsoever. Just like, no one gives a fuck about you, no one gives a fuck about me. Which, right there is something. Like, it had you had a therapist that would care about you, would reach out to you, maybe we wouldn't have that psycho, um, psychotic behavior that he, that he moves forward with. Maybe he would, maybe he wouldn't. It all depends. It's up, it's up to perception at that point but it really is an allegory to what happens in today's society like in today's society are we dealing with mental health properly are we just releasing people onto the world hoping for the best and if so is this why we're seeing the violence out there these days is this why we're seeing you know mass shootings suicides you name it it's happening these days more profound than it was before it really is Something to take a look at and say, huh, I need to think about this. So that was huge right there, to me at least. Like, that, that's, that sunk in a lot. Um, this is where I felt a little weird because this is where we got the Thomas Wayne story a little bit more deeper. Where Thomas Wayne was possibly a lover for Arthur's mother. And this is where... It felt more comic booky rather than a film that, like a different film that I was enjoying. Like I did not enjoy anything that had to do with Bruce Wayne. That's just me. I just didn't give a fuck about that. Like you could have told the Joker story without Bruce, and I've been happy. But you know, you get the story where you know supposedly there was a letter sent to Penny, and Penny basically wanted to hide the truth that he could be Thomas Wayne's firstborn. Instead of Bruce. And that they had to hide the relationship because of public appearances and so on and so forth. And that it was an affair. Yada, yada, yada. She signed some paperwork and it couldn't be um, documented that he was an heir to any of that fortune. So, of course, Arthur, having daddy issues, goes to seek out um, Thomas. He goes to the Wayne Manor. And we get to see Bruce and... 
I just didn't care about this interaction. Like, it was funny. It was fine. It's great foreshadowing um, in the future for for Batman fans. You get to see the Joker just play around with some dollar store magic tricks. Um, you get a weak-ass um, Alfred that comes to defend Bruce. Like, what the fuck are you doing? What are you doing with this kid? Why are you touching my, my uh, Master Bruce for? And he's like, oh, you know, I'm Thomas Wayne's. Um, real son need to speak to him and Arthur kind of clears up that you know um, that Penny's a liar that there was no relationship whatsoever and he should see the facts so he gets pissed off Um, he finds a way to get in touch with Thomas at a opera house no less so that was pretty much foreshadowing right there and um, I think um, the original actor that was supposed to play Thomas Wayne was um, uh, Alec Baldwin, but something happened. But, you know, Thomas is fucking built, bro. Like, Thomas looks like what Batman would be. Like, built, tall, muscular, you know, interesting. This is interesting foreshadowing of what Bruce would become as well, too. Um, Explains that, that Arthur couldn't be his son, that his mother was a patient in Arkham Asylum, um, that she had um, many different diseases, schizophrenia, pathological liar, narcissism, so much stuff, and that she allowed her then-boyfriend to abuse her son um, to the point where he had uh, some kind of mental breakdown or he got hit in the head so severe that it messed up his psyche. Which is why you don't get a lot of backstory from Arthur because he doesn't remember his childhood well. Uh, you also find out that he was adopted, which made me so fucking happy because of the fact that I did not want to see a story where the Joker was related to Bruce. I just didn't care for that whatsoever. I don't find that compelling. So, so the fact that we we have a birth certificate that shows adopted with no name, like a John Doe name. Made me feel so warm inside because I like the fact that the Joker is still ambiguous. He's an enigma. He's someone that you don't know. He doesn't even know who the hell he is. Arthur, um, Arthur is just a, it's a made up name. Yeah, well, not a made up name, but it's not his real name. You know, Flack is not his last name. And even he goes to his mother and he's like, I always hated this name and. You see how this character is falling into depression and darkness, little by little. His father figure, um, you know, his, you know, he doesn't know his father. The people that he perceives as father figures don't want him around. You know, Thomas Wayne even punches him in the face because of the uncontrollable laughter he's doing. So he has no outlet whatsoever. So this movie. In some ways, give makes you feel empathetic for this character because this character is looking for a way out and had somebody reached out to him a proper way, maybe that character would have never went the lengths he went. Um, you see him slipping down into depression even more to the point where he kills his mother, suffocates his mother for the reaction of being adopted and being lied to and that good stuff there's more stuff that 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 happened in arkham asylum and for anybody wants to talk about that part as well too please feel free to reach out to me that was a fantastic part i kind of just feel like i'm rambling more than than talking about the movie um 
toward the end though, um, parts that, okay, other parts that I did like, um, the, the murder of the mother was okay, but the actual murder of Randall and, um, his little friend as well too, that was an unbelievable scene of him painting his face and it's even half painted and, you know, friends are coming to try to see if he's okay to hurt his mother died. And he's like, yeah, I know, I'm celebrating. Which is very eerie to say because it's very nonchalant. This character is just... Everything about this character is just so sad. And and it makes you want to reach out to a person like this and say, I got you. But you have to understand that mental illness comes in all shapes and sizes and you may not know right then and there as well too but it's just the the deep dive into madness is is crazy when he gets fired from his job initially he goes down the flight steps so happily he's dancing he's spray painting when he goes upstairs again he's once again in reality he's lifting the world on his shoulders he's really trying to be sane in a world where he cannot be sane um, one of the quotes I think he writes in his book, and I'm trying to read it verbatim, or remember verbatim, excuse me, was that um, the thing about mental illness is that people expect you to act, I think, a certain way or act correct or act right, thinking you're not doing it already. And that's very true. I know a lot of friends of mine that deal with, suffer with mental illness, and they face that challenge all the time. Whereas like people think they're weird or introverted or or too too emotional or too erratic. And to that person that they're there, they're doing their best to be normal. And it's not enough. And you see that in this movie. I'm not trying to say this is a sympathetic character because this character does know from right or wrong. Like I said this character has some serious issues that they themselves need to figure out and they don't and they slowly accept madness when the scene where he murders randall with a pair of scissors to the jugular to the eye it's brutal it is one of the most brutal scenes you've seen in the movie like this movie is rated off for a reason there's a lot of character development yes but when the kills do happen they mean something there's comedy in there like one of the friends is a midget uh little person however you want to say it these days and of course you know Arthur allows him to live and run away, and he can't. It's it's a funny joke. It's it's a crazy joke, but it's a funny joke. Like, he can't reach the door because it has a chain on it, and, of course, he can't reach it, so he asks Arthur to help him out so he can run away. Like, little parts like that are fantastic because you don't know if he set that up in the beginning. You don't know if he locked the door knowing that that person couldn't get out no matter what. And there's even a part where he closes, after he takes the, the chain off, he closes it back just to say, you were the only one nice to me. Now get out of here. Like, even that part right there was very tense because it made you feel like he was going to kill him right there. This movie's a very uncomfortable movie. It's a very slow-paced, high-energy movie. I know those contrast, but that's really the best way to explain it. And then, like, you let all that stuff happen. He gets invited to the Maury show. Um, the accepting of the Joker happens. The the face paint happens. The descending from the stairs. Um, the song that plays that just makes it feel like he's 
accepted himself. He's accepted the madness. He's accepted the delusion. He's accepted life as as it is. Like this is what he's meant to do. Um, at points in the movie, you know, he said he's destined for greatness to put a smile on people's faces and bring happy and joy. He's also wanted to be a comedian, and he finds out that the jokes that he's telling are not necessarily the ones that he should be telling or the ones that are getting over. What makes him smile, what makes him tick, the jokes that make sense to him where people are there dying. You know, the macabre, the, the massacres that are happening, that's what gets him going. And that's very interesting. Like, that is his punchline. That is his joke. Um, and the crescendo to all this, after that iconic, iconic dance, and that's going to be in cinema history forever. Um, just the talk show scene and how he practiced that scene over and over again with different um, recorded sessions from the Murray show. And it's such an uncomfortable scene. Many things that he does up to that point make you believe that he's going to commit suicide. And me, myself, going into this when I saw the trailer, I already felt that he was going to kill Murray. Like, point blank, shoot in the face. I just didn't think I'd see it. And that violent. And after he explains his somewhat of agenda that, you know, he's not doing anything for politics, he's not doing anything for for a cause, he's doing things because this is what he feels as someone who has mental illness and no one's able to help him. And Murray, once again, as someone who possibly could have been a father figure to him in his own delusion, in his own head, disappoints him. Tells him that, oh, the woe is me, the pity trip, yada, 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 that you need to shape up and accept your own responsibilities. That sets him off even more to the point where he shoots him flat in the head. And this scene, the music... The tension, everything just feels so. It 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 it's so dark, bleak, and devastating, and horrifying, and scary. So and some comedy elements as well too. His reaction to things, his reaction to death, his reaction to people screaming and going to the camera, like there's comedy elements, but it's like, should I laugh at this because this is fucked up? This movie makes you feel some, so many things. It makes you question what's real, what's not. What's the delusion and what's not. You know, like I said, the the Zazie Bates character and how there was flirtation in the beginning. But like I said, the color blue kind of felt like it was more delusion where he was. Like anytime you saw Zazie Bates, whether it was like in the hospital when they were taking care of his mother, um, the donut shop or the newspaper stand, and you get that revelation that she was never there to begin with. Like, that right there was something to, like, be taken back by. Um, so many different things in this in this movie that you can question the motives. Um, when Randall gives him the gun the first time, did Randall actually give him the gun? Because in the conversation before he gets fired, you know, it stated that uh, Randall said that he tried to buy the gun off of him. So what's the illusion? Did Randall even offer anything or to be a good friend? Like, there's a lot to question in this movie. There's a lot to unpack. And I definitely do think a second or third viewing of this film is warranted. Um, let's just give my rating right now. Um, I give this 
I want to say full on five stars. I don't have a method of how I'm grading things anymore. I'm just going to start methods to start off with, but I give this five stars. Five out of five. I think this is a fantastic movie. I think this is a love letter to mental illness. And this is a an accurate depiction of the character of the Joker. And the fact that the nature of the character is very ambiguous on his his on what he's doing at the end of the movie or how he's perceived is remarkable. I think the fact that you don't know if he's some pathetic loser that went off or he's a criminal mastermind because of all these illusions and what you think about the character, what you think he's doing. Because obviously there's some kind of thought process to what he's doing. Um, but there's also psychosis as well too. Um, it's a very interesting movie. It's a very beautiful shot movie. The score is fantastic. Uh, everything about this movie is fantastic. The only parts about this movie that I just, that are not really that don't change my rating, but make me feel that I just need it. Once again, the Thomas Wayne stuff, the Bruce Wayne stuff, and toward the end, you know, spoiler alert. Like I said, you guys stuck around this long. Was, you know, because of the chaos of the clown and how it's been sensationalized in the media. And then, of course, the killing of Murray on live TV. These riots are happening in Gotham, you know, down with the rich, ascending the poor. Um, everybody wearing clown masks and because they see the Joker as a hero. There's even newspaper articles calling him a vigilante, which I find hilarious because... This is what Batman becomes. And there's times where Thomas Wayne is announcing like all these clown wannabe killers called them vigilantes and stuff like that. It's like, wow, the foreshadowing of Bruce later on, what he becomes. So um, just with all that happening, you don't know what's real. You don't know if he's actually a mastermind that planned all this or this is just a guy who just ended up with all this shit on his plate. It's a remarkable movie. Um, I hope it does not get a sequel. I think this is a great one-shot and call it a day. It does not warrant a sequel whatsoever. I think that Joaquin's performance is the best. And I want to say the definitive version of the Joker. Um, if, if Even if it's Joker year one. And you want a good reason why the character acts the way they do. This from the um, disease of uncontrollable laughter to the narcissistic personality to the schizophrenia to to the multiple delusions that are happening on a constant day basis to the brutality of his murders and the unempatheticness after he murders somebody. It's it's a great movie. Um, but yeah, I, I couldn't uh, I, I lost my track right there. Sorry, guys. Um, I train of thought. Um, but I didn't like that part. Like I said, since everything is happening in that movie where um, riots are happening, we get to see um, the Battle of Gay Zorro, I think that's what it was called, which um, is the motion picture that, um, or play that Martha, Thomas, and Bruce go see. And as these riots are happening, you get to see them go into Crime Alley, and specifically someone on the mask, most likely Joe Chill, 
shoots down Thomas Wayne and Martha. You even get the, 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 the pearls that come off as well, too. The iconic pearls you see in every damn Batman movie that happens. Um, I think the ending's fantastic. I think the part where they semi-take the Joker out of the police car as a martyr, and he puts the blood on his face, making the giant smile. It's like really the the birth of the Joker legend itself. I think the Joker was already born as soon as um, he put the clown makeup on and descended those stairs for the last time. But I think the legend of the Joker was born right there in that moment um, in the riots. Um, the ending scene where you see Joaquin Phoenix without makeup in Arkham, pr- presumably, with another therapist, and he's laughing uncontrollably again. She's like, what's so funny? And he's like, oh, it's a joke. And he's like, oh, can I, can I get in on the joke? And he's like, you wouldn't get it. And it pans right to Bruce and both the parents dead. Um, kind of like an orphan making another orphan. So that's how I took it. And, of course, you get this, like, comedy skit at the end where he exits the room bloodied up. So, presumably, he killed um, that therapist and then just comedically runs away from guards as well, too, as it ends. I find that pretty dope. I, I found the movie just interesting on all aspects. I found every shot beautiful. I'm a little biased because it was in New York. But what can I say? Like, this movie, it really gave me something it, gave, it made me feel a certain way watching this movie. Um, and I can't wait to see it about three or four times because every time I presumably would watch this movie, I would find something new about it. And that's the mark of any great movie. So let's just, um, before I let everybody go, I kind of want to get into some theories. I know I spoke about a few of them, but these are just my theories on the movie. All right, theory number one. Um... Did Arthur kill um, Zazie Beetz and her child? Um, ultimately, when you see that it was just a delusion, he breaks into her place, and he's on the couch, and she you know, reacts like, who are you? He gives her a signal of the gun to the head. Now, he walks out the apartment, and it's very ambiguous in how that how that's left. But... Every shot means something. Every sound means something. So in that scene, you get definitely see that there's a there's either a fire truck or an ambulance outside, and maybe someone heard someone getting killed or shot, and not not necessarily they would tie it to Arthur because um, everything that they did was a delusion. So there would be no tie. So the police wouldn't use him as a like a. A suspect because they wouldn't know him whatsoever. So did she die? I want to say yes. If that therapist died at the end, Murray died, <laughs> and a couple other people died. Randall died. I definitely think that she died as well too because she was also in his head and his delusions, someone that he can go to. And once the delusion's over, and he finds out that reality, she wants something to do with him. She wants him to just go, while he's having this mental breakdown. You know, after essentially killing his mother, like, like, the last person in his head that he wants to turn to is telling him to go away. I think he murdered her. Um, do I think that the condition is real for the uncontrollable laughter? 
yes. Although I think it's like any kind of tick where once you find something that gets the tick away, it stops. And I feel like when Arthur finally descends into madness and comes full circle as a Joker, you don't hear the laugh as much. If anything, at all, until you get to the Murray show. Um, And that's because Murray's pushing his buttons. But throughout that time, he's not really doing the laugh. So is this right here finally him being in his own skin? And if so, did he cure himself of that disease in a way? Was it all in his head that needs to be cleared out because of stress and trauma? And if you eliminate all the stress and trauma and accept the illness, no more tick, I guess. That's just my perception on it. Um, let's see here. Did Thomas Wayne have an affair with Penny? This is the biggest one that I'm still wrapping my head around because on one hand, you get the letter in the middle of the movie, which prompts him to ask the question of what's, what the hell is going on. Um, is that a delusion? Is the letter a delusion? Because of the fact that his mother has been telling him that Thomas Wayne would, would take care of them, would take care of them, would he draw out a fantasy of that letter actually showing up on the table? Because you don't see him getting that letter. And he checks the mailbox all the time. But he did not get that letter. That letter was on the table. If I'm not mistaken. And if that's the case, that could be delusion as well, too. But then again, if... If this is about mental health illness and Thomas Wayne states that Penny was mentally ill, I have not seen her in this movie take one pill or medication whatsoever. If anything, the person who is taking medication is just Arthur. There's one point that I remember specifically where they're about to watch Murray and he grinds up some pills and like some like applesauce or soup. And I'm thinking he's going to give it to the mother, but no, it's for him. So I found that extremely interesting as well, too. Like someone who has this much mental illness to the point where they need to, um, you know, put her away in Arkham. And she she let her son get beat and hurt um, to the point of, of having a mental disorder out of it. Why is she just like bed rest mom that he's just taking care of? Like she he's just taking care of her like a, like a, like an old nana. There's no sign of that whatsoever. So what's delusion and what's not at this point? Um, that's up for debate. I will say that the relationship did happen. There was an affair because I feel like there's more skeletons in, in Thomas Wayne's closet. Uh, he definitely does seem like a schmuck at sometimes. So I could definitely see that happening. But I do believe that Arthur is adopted. And I kind of, this is my theory. I'll leave you guys on this theory. If the affair did happen, imagine if it was Thomas that was beating Arthur to the point where, yes, he's the one that caused the mental illness for the Joker. Creating monsters. And as a doctor, you're trying to save people. And here he is creating death incarnate. 
I'll leave you with that, guys. Anyway, that's my take on the Joker. I know I rambled a little bit too much. I know it was a little bleak and depressing, probably, and that's how the movie is. But yes, I love this movie. I want to hear your thoughts. Please message me on Twitter at uncanny underscore V, um, on the Instagram at popculturefanatics, on the Facebook page at popculturefanatics as well, too. Uh, this podcast is also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and of course, all your other podcast networks such as Podbeam, Stitcher, so on and so forth. And with the Anchor app, guys, you can actually leave a voice note. Just um, tap on to um, the plus button, I believe, and then you can actually leave like almost like a voicemail of how you felt about the po- the conversation. So please, I want to hear your feedback about the movie. If if you agree on certain things, if you disagree, I would love to hear the conversation. Other than that, guys, please watch this movie multiple times. Um, and let me know what you think. That's all I got for you guys. So, um, I'm out of here. It's late. I need to take care of my own mental health right now and get some rest. And uh, stay safe, guys. Have a great one. Later. This is your end credit scene. You know what, guys? I gotta say, this is the best goddamn part of the movie. Straight up. You know, to all the guys and gals out there that gave this fucking movie a piss poor review. Oh, this is not my Heath Ledger. It's not my Jack Nicholson. It's not my Mark Hamill. Fuck off. At the end of the day, we're all nerds. You know, we all read comic books. We all watch the Batman animated series. Hell, I fucking watch the Herculoids and shit like that. Go look it up. Google it. The fact that we're getting directors and studios that want to make a smart adaptation of these characters. It's... It should be the greatest thing to, to all of us because... It means that the things that we love are being taken serious. So whatever fucking adaptation we get, deal with it. It's a fucking movie. Like the Joker says, comedy is subjective. And so is your film going experience. So fuck off. Also, thanks for listening. Remember guys. It's your responsibility. Take care of each other and your own mental health.